Uh, Sipo is going to preach the gospel to us from Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 10, 45. Uh, you can open up to Mark, that's on page 846. To provide a little context for that, I'll, lead us, I'll, I'll read for us uh, Mark, 8, uh, excuse me, Mark 10, verses 32 through 45. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles." And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, it's a, a joy for me uh, to be here this morning. Uh, very grateful for the love and for the prayers that goes out for us week in and week out uh, from this church. Um, the brothers and sisters at Escort Community Church and the reforms are in this church in Christ, they, they send their love and their greetings uh, to you all. Now, I'm sure many of you will say that the lives that we live, uh, it brings to us certain memories. There are things that happened in our lives that leaves indelible marks and memories for us that last sometimes years and years. And most of those events they don't just happen to us personally. They, they happen to our country, to those uh, that we love. 
and they change the way we do things, sometimes leaving hurt and tears. And when we reflect on them, these things stay in our mind. They're unforgettable. Uh, for example, the election of uh, Barack Obama as the first American president, I think it's not something that when the Americans think about will, be, will supersede what happened here in September 11. When we think of September 11, it goes down as this most terrible and tragic event that took place and is doc documented in the history book, not only of this country, uh, but throughout the world. It's changed the way that we fly. Uh, when we think of Osama bin Laden and we have to take the shoes off when we go through security checkpoints and use plastic cutlery, it reminds us of this one man who is responsible uh, for September 11. Another big event as well that shook the whole world is March 20, 2020, uh, when it was announced that due to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, the whole world was going to be shut down. It was going to come uh, to a complete standstill. As a consequence, new laws were passed that governed the movement of the people, how we handle things, and how we behave uh, generally. I don't know what it was like here, uh, but back home in South Africa, it was very, it was a very, very chaotic moment. There was a lot of confusion as people try to react uh, to this pandemic. And I'm sure it's one of the events, just like September 11, that will go down in history books. As something that came and had an impact on our lives and changed the way in which we live. But there is still yet another most memorable and historic event that took place uh, over 2,000 years ago. Uh, that's the most important event that will remain in our lives throughout all eternity. And that event has to do with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God became man, when Jesus was born uh, in the manger, in the manger. We as Christians know that the Bible teaches us that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we are told that the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came incarnate and he came and lived among us. Uh, this Jesus, who is equal with God in every way, to whom all the attributes of God can be ascribed, he dwelt among us. He came and lived among us. And the impact of coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just something that was anticipated before he came. It's something that is continuing to affect the peoples now 
and it's something that will affect the people's life throughout all eternity, the coming of Christ. The question that we have to ask is, for what purpose? What is it that required God, the second person of the Trinity, to leave the glories of heaven that we've just sang about to come and live among sinners uh, like us? What is it that needed God to come down that could not be accomplished any other way, that could not be accomplished by any other person? No prophet, no apostle, no animal sacrifice was worthy to accomplish. What is it that it is that brought God, Jesus Christ, to come down and live among us? You know, if you were to ask that question, I'm sure you'll get many, many responses even here. In South Africa, people will tell you that uh, the reason why Jesus came and took on human flesh was so that we can have abundant life. Our best lives now, we can live long, lives that are immune from trials and, tri and tribulations and hardships. They will tell you that's why Jesus came. Others, they tell you that Jesus came so that he could be our moral teacher. He will teach us how to live lives that are, are pleasing to God. Back home, there is a big uh, uh, Zionist religion called the Chamber Church. They actually reject Jesus Christ altogether. They say he didn't come for us. He came for the white people. If, you were to, uh, if someone was to ask you that question, why Jesus Christ came, how would you answer that question? Well, friends, what we're going to try and do today, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the first Gospel. And here we're going to try and answer this question. What is it that could not be accomplished by already created things and people that required God to come down? and live among us. So to answer this question, we're going to look at Jesus' works and look at Jesus' words. We're going to look at his works and his words. Because this is a topical message, you have to forgive me, we're going to have to flip around a little bit from the Gospel of Mark because it's not an exposition of the text but it's a topical message that is seeking to answer this question, why Jesus came. So let's begin by looking at the works of Jesus Christ as we seek to answer these questions. We're going to look at the works that Jesus did, the exorcisms where he healed demon-possessed people, and we're going to look at some illnesses that Jesus healed, and we're going to look at the supernatural uh, works that Jesus did. In terms of ex exorcisms, is there in chapter 1, verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 26. In that story, we are told about how Jesus was in the synagogue in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus is right there in the synagogue. He's teaching. And then we read in verse 23 that whilst he was in the synagogue, suddenly or immediately, there was a man with an unclean spirit. 
that cried out to God, that cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus is in the synagogue, is busy teaching, and verse 22, notice that whilst he's still teaching, people are amazed, and then verse 23, suddenly this man shows up. This man shows up. And in verse 25 and 26, Jesus healed this man. He rebukes the demon. He rebukes the spirit, and the man is made well. So what we see here is that Jesus did not go out looking for a man with an unclean spirit. He was busy teaching, and then this man happened to be there in the synagogue, and Jesus healed him. Look in chapter 5. Another exorcism where Jesus cast out a demon. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, Jesus and his disciples Verse 2, they disembark from the boat. Then again in verse, two, 20, in verse 2, it says there, and when they had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength uh, to subdue him. So Jesus is getting out of the boat to go to the other side, and all of a sudden, this man who has been troubling the community, he shows up. He shows up. Verse 13 to 15, Jesus sends the demon away to the pigs. And then this man, we are told that in verse 15, that after Jesus has exercised, this man was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Again, Jesus encounters this man. He never went out looking for him. This man presents himself, and Jesus, because of his compassion, he meets this man's need. Have a look in also in chapter. Have a look also in chapter. In chapter seven, verse twenty-four to thirty. Chapter seven, verse twenty-four to thirty. The third exorcism. There is a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had a demon. And it says there in verse 24, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tara. And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not. Uh, be hidden. So Jesus enters this city and he wants to remain secret, but somehow this woman finds out about him and she asks Jesus to help. And Jesus heals again the daughter of this woman. It says, in fact, there in verse 26, chapter 7, verse 26, it says there, 
Uh, now the woman was a gentle, sort of Phoenician woman, and she begged him. She begged Jesus to cast out the demon. So if Jesus was going out looking for sick people to heal them, uh, this woman would not have begged Jesus. Then the last one is there in chapter 9, in verses 14 to 29. Chapter 9 in verses 14 to 29. Jesus has been away with Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down from the Mountain of Transfiguration to meet with the rest of the disciples. Then again, we read... In chapter 9, verse 25 to 27, it says there, And when Jesus saw the crowd coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Again, we see right there that Jesus did not go out looking for demon-possessed people. But as he was going along, preaching the gospel in his business, he met the people's need who had demon, who needed to be delivered from demon possession. What about healings? What about healings, people who had some kind of sicknesses? Go back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 30 to 31, Jesus again is, is, is going into Peter's house. It says there in verse 30, in verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and fever left her, and she began to serve them, to serve them. So again, there Jesus is in Peter's house, not looking for any sick people. And when he finds out about Peter's mother-in-law, he heals her. He heals her. Go over to chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus here heals a man with a withered hand. And look where Jesus is, according to verse 1. It says, and again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. So the purpose why Jesus goes into the synagogue as a rabbi was to teach, was to teach. But it just so happened that in that synagogue, there is this man with a withered hand. So to silence the, hypo the, the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus interacts with this man. And then verse 5, Jesus heals this man. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand, and he was restored. Let's look at the supernatural events, supernatural works. Chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. We've just looked at the exorcisms. We've looked at the healings that Jesus did to, in an effort to uncover what it is that Jesus came to do. Now let's look at his supernatural works. Chapter 4. Verse 35 to 31. Jesus, in this story, he calmed the storm. 
he calmed the storm. Verse 37. Verse 37 says, A great storm arose, and the waves were broken into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stand, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Jesus again. He's just going on with his business. He faces now this particular situation where his disciples' lives are at risk, and then Jesus deals with this. He speaks to the waters because the waters know that this is the word of its creator. It hears and it obeys. It obeys. Go over to chapter 21. Sorry, to chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. There, the daughter of Jairus is sick. She sends, he sends out to tell Jesus that uh, if he could come and heal his daughter, he goes back home he finds that his daughter has already died. And then we read in verses 41 to 42, that despite the efforts of these messengers who are trying to stop Jesus to come to Jairus' house, Jesus goes nonetheless, and he takes a few disciples with him and he goes in where the daughter was laid, and he says in verse 41, Talita kum, which means literally, girl, I say to you, arise. In verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So Jesus raising a dead girl from the dead from the dead. I think the last one, which I'm not going to read in detail, which you know about, is there where Jesus, in chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, where he feeds the 5,000, and later on in chapter 8, verses 1 to 10, where he feeds uh, the 4,000, creating food out of nothing to feed all of these uh, people. Again, dear brothers, the same thing that we see here, that in the exorcisms that Jesus did, and in the healings that Jesus did, and also in the supernatural events that Jesus did, there is no indication from the text that Jesus was seeking to do these things. But he responded to these things as he encountered them. So why did Jesus come? What is it that brought Jesus come, brought, caused Jesus to come here into the world? Friends, we can say with absolute precision that it cannot be that Jesus came to do exorcisms, to do the healings, and also to do this supernatural event, events. Why do I say that? 
Because we know from scripture that these uh, supernatural works and these miracles that Jesus did and these healings, they were not actually unique to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had done these uh, uh, miracles as he helped and enabled people to do that. For example, if you read 2 Kings chapter 5, there was a man named Naaman, Naaman who had leprosy. And this prophet Elisha healed him of leprosy. We also know from Exodus chapter 14 that Moses, as he was confronted by leading the people of God through the Red Sea, using the staff, he was able to heat the waters and the waters were separated such that the people of God walked in dry ground. So Jesus did already these miracles even prior to his coming. So it cannot be that Jesus came to do the things there which he can allow, which he can enable people to do. Cannot be. And we also know about the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Moses fed more than half a million people in the wilderness with the manna. So Jesus did that already. It cannot be that he came to do that. In fact, have a look in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 7, it says there, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So all of these exorcisms that we're talking about here, Jesus also appropriated these powers to do the same thing that he was doing to his disciples, to his disciples. In fact, we are told in Mark chapter 10, in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, this is what we read there. It says there, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So why would Jesus come into the world to do things that he can allow his disciples also to do? Have a look in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 in verses 11 to 12. This is now after Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Listen to what happened to Paul. It says there in, in, in Acts chapter 19, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland, in the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So, sorry, verse 11 to 12, I'm sorry. Chapter, chapter 19, verse 11 to 12, it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched, his, that has touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirit came out of them. So Christ gave these powers to Paul to do that which Jesus was already doing. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 5, we read the same thing about Peter. Acts chapter 5, in verses 14 to 16, it says there, 
Acts chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick, the sick into the streets and laid on them cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. That's how powerful these guys were known to be, that Peter doesn't even need to touch you. If his shadow passes on the sick, uh, they will get healed because Jesus had given them these powers. So friends, it cannot be that Jesus came to do that which others can do, that which he can allow others to do. So what, what are we to, how, do, how are we to make sense then of these miracles in the Gospel of Mark in particular? I think there are three ways we can make sense of these miracles. One, the miracles were there. Jesus performed the miracles that you're going to be studying in the Gospel of Mark over the foreseeable future to fulfill the Old Testament promises. Because it had been promised that the Messianic age was going to be marked by an outbreak of uh, works and miracles. Uh, but all of those miracles were meant to draw people to know who Jesus is that this man was not just man. This man was fully God and fully man. So friends, we cannot, we cannot conclude that Jesus came to give us good life. We cannot say Jesus came to give us good life now. We have to ask why Jesus came. We're going to find out. Now let's look at his words. Because his works, his healings, his exorcisms, his supernatural uh, powers that he, he appropriated to other people to do. Let's look at his words now. If his words are going to shed some light for us as to the purpose of why he came. Now, where did Jesus open his mouth for the first time in the Gospel of Mark? It's in Mark chapter 1. In verses 14 to 15 that Seth preached about last week. Have a look in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. It says now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Mark presents the Lord Jesus Christ here opening his mouth. He's not saying, bring all the sick. He's not calling people to say, who wants their best life now? The very first words that are recorded for us by Mark, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. How are people going to respond to that? Repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that you and I were created by God. We're made in the image of God. So when God created us, we were perfect. Sin came as a result of our rebellion. 
Sin came as a result of not obeying God's Lord, not to eat of the forbidden tree. And then sin came. And man finds himself in direct conflict with God. God kicks him out of the Garden of Eden. And now man was estranged from God. The relationship between God and man was broken. But the man who was created by God perfect, God wants that man to remain perfect in order to have a relationship with him. And there was no way that man can be reconciled. We read in Genesis 3.15 that promise that the seed of the woman is the one that will crush the serpent's hands and thus reconcile man uh, to God. Isaiah 52 and 53, that was read. Now he was crushed for our iniquity. Why was Jesus crushed for our iniquity? That's a gospel. So that man can be reconciled to God. And so Jesus, as he opens his mouth in Mark chapter 1, the very first words, he declares that the kingdom of God is at hand and he calls people to repent. Mark chapter 1 again. Go over the page in Mark chapter 1. We read earlier that in chapter 1 verse 29 that Jesus entered the house of Peter and he found Peter's mother-in-law. He's sick. And then we read in verses 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, if I was Joel Osteen, I would definitely, or, 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 or Creflo Doll, I would definitely drop everything and go back there. But listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns, that I may do what? Heal more people? Do more exorcisms? Do more healings? Do more miraculous signs? No. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus opens his mouth, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The next time now he has an opportunity to grow his ministry by healing, by doing exorcism, by doing miraculous signs, he says, no. I didn't come for that. We must go to other towns that I may preach there also because that is why I have come. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1, we read there. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. There again, Jesus has the opportunity to heal many and to do exorcisms and healings. Listen to what it says at the end of verse 10. And again, as was his custom. Jesus healed many. Jesus did many miraculous signs. No, he taught them. He taught them. That's what he said in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. We must go to other towns that I must preach, for that is why I've come. And Mark here is telling us that teaching the people was Jesus' behavior, was his custom. That's why now when we come to Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 45, it doesn't surprise us 
that these disciples who are fighting over the position is to sit at the right and at the left of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That you can emulate. Instead of lording over others, instead of exercising authorities as Gentiles do, what you can emulate from me is becoming a servant from all, for all. But here, here is what you cannot emulate that only Jesus can do, that is to give his life as a ransom for many. Exorcisms, yes. Jesus would allow his disciples to do it. Supernatural powers, Jesus will give those supernatural powers. Jesus will allow his people to do healings. That can be shared with the, his followers. But when it comes to giving down his life as a ransom for many, that is for him. That is for him. We talk about taking the bullet for my wife. We talk about that. I think you talk about it here also. Taking the bullet for my wife. You know, if I was to take for the bullet for Lungi, it will not rain some hair from his sins. But this death here of the Lord Jesus Christ is a death that ransoms. Many, many. No angel, no prophet, no apostle can die this kind of death to ransom many, to buy back those who have rebelled against God, those who can do nothing. You know, when we come to the negotiating table with God, you know what we bring? We bring sin to which we need forgiveness. That's all we can bring. But when it comes to Jesus who's lived a perfect life of obedience to the will of the Father, he is the one, the only one, who can ransom us. He's the only one that can push us right with God and have hope. He's the one that we can sing these songs that we, we're singing here, great songs of hope, of knowing that we've been reconciled to God and we are not headed to condemnation. There is now no condemnation to all those who are now in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ has paid a ransom price for them. He's paid a ransom price for them. So friends, that's why the cross is so central in our lives as Christians. We don't fool around with the cross. Cross is at the center, is at the forefront of the Christian faith. Listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5. Talking about the reason why Jesus came. Acts chapter 5 verse 23. Apostle Peter, Apostle Peter Sorry, I've got the wrong uh, reference here. But it's that text that talk about where Peter says, you talking to the Jews that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, the you crucified the Holy One of Israel according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And the foreknowledge of God. Peter can say, Apostle Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 2, I want to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the cross is at the center of the Christian faith because Christ 
lay down his life as a ransom for many. This is even reflected in the songs that we sing. I know this song we used to sing here when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, glorifying the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my brother here, Sean uh, Krauss, has given me a memory stick with 4,000 sermons of one of the preachers here in America. Those 4,000 plus sermons is not the sermons about how God wants to give us a good life now. Those sermons is about the centrality of the cross, what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ as he ransoms us from our sins. John Stott wrote a very famous book called The Cross of Christ because the cross is at the center. Even now, after this, after I've stepped down, we're going to be celebrating communion. What are we celebrating here? How we were ransomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we partake of that bread and partake of that drink, we are remembering what Christ has done for us to ransom us from our sins. We even have the creeds, the Christian creeds, the Apostles' Creed, they talk about the death of Christ and how he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead because they did not respond to this message that he has come to seek and to save them because they have not responded to this message that he's laid on his life as a ransom for many. That's why we've got buildings with the cross, We've got our many, even the, the theological school, they give you a degree, it will have a cross there. The hymn book will have cross there. What is the emphasis? Why is it the emphasis? Because it's through the cross that we are all ransomed. And brothers and sisters, that is what we must preach. The world that seek a best life now outside of the cross, we preach Christ and him crucified. The cross must be at the center of everything. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 15 of a lost coin, lost sheep, and each of those two parables, it ends up with rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. I'm yet to come across a verse in the Bible where it says, when a sinner drives out with a brand new BMW from a car dealer, there's rejoicing in heaven. Or when an unforgiven sinner who is living worldly, doesn't care about the Lord Jesus Christ, move into a great mansion in a posh city, I'm here to find a vase that there is rejoicing in heaven when that happens. But the heavens, the angels, gather in the presence of God to rejoice when one sinner repents. When one sinner has been touched by this message that Christ came into the world, to lay his down as a ransom for many. And when a sinner repents and puts their trust in Christ after hearing this message, there is not only rejoicing here. There is not only when we hear the news in South Africa, there is not only rejoicing here in South Africa, but in heaven there is rejoicing. There is rejoicing. So if you are here this morning, if you are here this morning, you've got your best life now. If you are here this morning and you have not yet turned from your sins and believe this message of the cross, I want to invite you today to say that you can have all the wealth that you accumulate here in the world, 
But there's going to come a day when you're going to close your eyes in death. And that world will do nothing for you. You'll have to face your maker who created you perfect. And he wants you in that way. The question is, what is it that you, how are you going to plead your case? Because your money cannot buy the best lawyers to stand for you before God. But you're going to need the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's laid down his life as a ransom for many. Today, dear brother, my friend, if you have not yet repented, you can turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the life that you were meant to live, that perfect life that you were meant to live, Christ has lived it perfectly for you, such that when God looks at you, when you've turned from your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God imputes that righteousness to you as though you have lived that life. And you can go home today and know that you have been forgiven. You are at peace with God. For us who believe, dear brothers and sisters, these are the good news of the gospel. This is what should shape our thinking. This is the eyes through which we must interpret all that is going on into the world. This is the eyes through which we must do missions. You know, when I'm down there in South Africa, this church did not send us there to preach that God wants to bless people. Snyders are not in that country to preach that message. Winchester Baptist Church was not planted to tell people that God owes them BMWs and a lot of money. It's this message. This message is for the nations. This message is for all of us. So all of us becomes missionaries in our workplace. We can present the gospel. We can live out the gospel. With our unbelieving families, we can minister to them the good news of Jesus Christ that is paid a ransom for many. And with those that are lost, like the Shembe Church in South Africa, this is the solution for them. We can preach to them and tell them God in the Lord Jesus Christ has come down and paid a ransom price for us. So dear brothers, there is a famous South African reggae music. His name was Lucky Dube. That man composed a song. The title of that song is called, We Are Born to Suffer. We Are Born to Suffer. No, dear friends, only one man was born to suffer in our place in order to make us perfect, in order to make us acceptable before God. And he did that by becoming a ransom for us. We can rejoice in that, and we can give praise to God for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world not to do miraculous signs and exorcisms and supernatural powers. You did that to reveal your identity. But Lord Jesus, you came into this world to do just one work that could not be done by any. and that is to lay down your life as a ransom for many. For that, we thank you. And we pray that you will help us 
in the midst of all the hatred for us as a church, as the world become more and more hostile, we pray that your church, Father, will be anchored on this message, that we'll stand on this message until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Amen.